Thank you for joining us for this episode. Today, we're joined by Dr. Andrew Pucker from UAB, and we're going to be speaking about meibomian glands and contact lens wear on the OI Show. Thank you again for joining us. Uh, Dr. Andrew Pucker, thank you for joining us for the OI Show. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Dr. Kading. Yes, such a uh, such an enjoyable person to speak with, Doctor uh, Pucker and I. We we see each other at meetings every once in a while, and Andrew's perspective on so many things in research it's just uh, refreshing to sit down and talk with him. And he's a researcher that is a clinician, and so he brings it around to a point where, as a clinician only, I can really, really dive into and, and learn a lot from you. So I really appreciate this. Tell us a little bit about what your role is at UAB and uh, how you spend your time. I essentially love to multitask. So <laughs> you I'm do, a clinician sure. and I, I run the myopia control clinic and I also fit specialty contact lenses. Uh, a big portion of my job is running clinical studies. So I do research on my booming lens atrophy and contact lens wearers, scleral lenses, uh, quality of life things with orthokeratology uh, and a little bit of myopia. That's more my past life, but my research focuses on those other things I mentioned these days. And then I also teach the contact lens two course. So a couple of years ago, you and I had uh, the opportunity to uh, lecture together at the Global Specialty Lens Symposium. And uh, by the way, that was one of the best lectures ever at GSLS for any of those who missed it. Uh, those of you who missed it, we can say for assuredly it was the best. Um, but we, we, we were able to bring some perspectives to contact lens fitting and dry eye, and you were able to bring some incredible research perspectives. And some of the things that I've thought really interesting is what is going on to the meibomian glands with contact lens wear? There's been studies that looked at patients who have worn contact lenses for years and years and years, and then they analyzed myographies of those patients. You've done some research. Can you share with us a little bit about what you were looking for in your research, and then certainly share with us what you concluded upon? I'd say this research all kind of started with Dr. Rita's group in Japan, and the original study found that the longer you wore contact lenses, meaning the more you wore contact lenses, the more likely you were to have meibomian gland atrophy. And since then, there has been several conflicting reports, and I'm one of the conflictors where I'm, you are. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not finding an association between atrophy and contact lens use, but I think it has a lot to do with the study design that we're doing. In Arita's uh, study and others, they're just kind of doing a cross-sectional analysis of their patients, meaning whoever shows up, they analyze. Whereas when I do my studies, I tend to do age and sex matching, which takes out some of the key dry eye variables that we worry about. You know, if you're female, you're more likely to have dry eye, and then the older you are, you're more likely to have dry eyes. So if we pair a contact lens wearer whose age and sex match to a non-contact lens wearer, we have not found a significant association between greater atrophy and lens use. Let, let, me, let me make sure I'm understanding that correctly. So in their study, they looked at contact lens wearers. And they found that the longer those patients wore contact lenses, the more likelihood they were to have some sort of change to their meibomian gland. And what you're saying is if you take the average patient 
you may possibly see that they're not wearing contact lenses, that as they get older, you may see the meibomian glands atrophy more. For sure. So even in your non-contact lens wearers, the older you get, the much more likely you are going to have meibomian gland atrophy. And so the conclusion is that in that study design, they were looking at contact lens wearers. So you're matching the two and you're finding that the patients who are you know, age 62 are are nearly matched or closely matched with the individuals that are contact lens and non-contact lens wearers. Is that a good kind of synopsis? Exactly. So maybe age is a big confounder in some of these other studies. And to be honest, it's still up for debate. And I just finished writing a review paper, which will hopefully be published in contact lens and air interior eye soon, talking about both sides of the story, along with some of my, my friends, such as Aaron Roof, the lead author. But um, I guess one other point is that uh, there's some work from Eric Pappas that mm-hmm. I think plays in here. So they found that you're more likely to have atrophy from contact lens use during your first year or two wear. And then after that, it's kind of stable. So maybe it's also where you get the wearers in their cycle. So if your study only recruits patients who've worn five contact lenses for five years or more, like one of my studies did, maybe we're not going to see that difference as well. Mm -hmm. Did you break down and evaluate different types of contact lenses? So the Rita study I mentioned did, and they did not find a difference between gas permeable lens wearers and soft lens wearers, which is really confusing because the the theory is a mechanical insult issue. So you would think that if a hard lens was on the eye, it'd be more likely to cause mechanical damage than a soft lens, but they didn't find that. So that kind of maybe discredits a little bit of the mechanical theory. In my studies, they've all been soft contact lens wearers. We're trying to, to keep it as clean as we can. Sure. Yeah. Well, we, we came up with this question and po- published a paper at uh, the Academy several years ago. My, my uh, fellow uh, did this and we did mybography on every patient that walked in the door. And then we evaluated all of the patients. Uh, uh, what we were doing is I should clarify that. We did mybography on all of our patients when we got a mybographer, just wanted to look at what was happening clinically. And then I said, well, why don't we go back and analyze these for different groups? And although the group was small, that was pediatric and had done orthokeratology, there was a slight difference in mybography for the ortho-K pediatric patients. It was such a small study. We certainly don't want to make any claims based off of it. But I think as we move forward, those are the sort of things that we need to look at, especially if we have children wearing orthokeratology, soft lenses, as you've pointed out, uh, for a substantial higher percentage of their life, if we're moving them into a myopia management uh, in their earlier years. I, I think that maybe ortho-K is different. Patients are sleeping in it. And maybe that has something to do too. Maybe the lens is causing some sort of inflammatory events event within the, the eyelid tissue. And maybe that's promoting some atrophy. So, you know, maybe it's different with ortho K and you're, you know, finding what's out there that no one's really been talking about yet. Yeah. So your also, your work also has looked at um, the effects on the meibomian gland function. 
and uh, which is different than atrophy and in structure. So tell us a little bit about the function of meibomian glands and contact lens wearers. So, so like you said, we really haven't found much in association between atrophy and contact lens use, but we have found that the quality of meibom and uh, the quantity or expressibility of the meibom is decreased in contact lens wearers. And that's been consistent across at least two studies I've done. So why is that happening? I'm not entirely sure. It could be because there's this contact lens on the eye that's stir up inflammatory molecules that are somehow plugging up the glands, or maybe it's disrupting the tear film so that there's more tears laying on the eyelid margin. It's really hard to say, but it is a risk factor. And, and because of that, I do recommend that everyone be doing a thorough meibomian gland uh, evaluation when they're working with contact lens bars, especially um, if they're symptomatic, but even if they're not symptomatic, because there is this thing where, you know, people have dry eye and they have loads of symptoms and no signs and vice versa. So if you can catch someone who's asymptomatic, but, you know, working their way towards having some dry, eye, it's going to be a problem later. Maybe you can head it off ahead of time. Um, so from a, a, an understanding of this work that you have done, is this generally neophyte contact lens wearers, and then you evaluate them and then you look at them later, or are these seasoned contact lens wearers and you're evaluating between two different time points? In my work, it's been seasoned contact lens wearers. So it's either been people who've worn them for five or more years or for more than one year. Um, so they're, they're pretty established. The only paper I can think of that has looked specifically at neophytes that I can reference right now is that Eric Pappas paper and they had multiple groups. They had neophytes in like two to five years and more than five years. And then past contact lens, whereas people who dropped out. And like I said, the, the glands were, um, having more atrophy in the neophytes, um, compared to the non-lens wearers and, I honestly can't recall how that's affecting expression in that study. I would hypothesize that the contact lens wearers though probably had a little bit worse uh, gland quality expression. Well, the enigma with this is that if uh, a patient who wears contact lenses doesn't have furtherance of atrophy, but yet their meibomian glands function poorer, we usually consider that if your meibomian glands function poorer, that you're going to have more atrophy. Uh, so do you have any clarity on that or still, uh, still scratching our heads on that one? <laughs> I did a study to specifically look at that and I'm still scratching my head. So what I thought was that maybe I didn't include the right people in my first big study. So what I did was I got people who had dropped out of contact lenses because I thought there was some bias there. So what I did is I matched contact lens dropouts to happy, healthy contact lens wearers to see if, you know, the, the people who had the atrophy dropped out and they just kind of gave up on contact lenses. But again, no difference in atrophy between those two groups, though the function of the glands was worse, of course, in the, the more symptomatic dropout patients. So maybe, maybe we're not understanding atrophy the right way, right? So I've understood and I've always taught and uh, you hate to you hate to to say you are maybe wrong, but that when you have atrophy and something is dead, that it can't come back to life. Well, I think that's probably true, but maybe it wasn't all the way dead. So we're we're starting to discover that maybe my biography can look better uh, later 
And maybe there's a reason something about our imaging or something along those lines. You and I were discussing about, uh, you know, better imaging techniques of mybography and so forth. Speak to us a little bit about the advancements in mybography and what we're now thinking that we didn't understand maybe five or seven years ago with mybography. You hit it right on the head. So there's at least three studies now that I know of that have found that if you treat meibomian gland dysfunction, you actually get a small percentage of the glands to appear on mybography when they weren't there before. So are they regenerating or are we just missing them? And I would think they're, we're probably just missing them. Once something's atrophied, I don't think the glands are going to grow back. I could be totally wrong. We don't know that yet, but possibly there's not mybum in that part of the gland, you know, maybe it's not functioning as well. And the mybography systems that we commonly use these days are not able to see the glands. So the a future direction of my research is to use OCT to look at glands and it like get more of a cross-sectional image to see what's really there and compare that to mybography and see, is that gland really gone or is it there? And we just can't see it with this common, very good technology, but maybe it's not showing us the whole picture right now. Mm. Well, that's brilliant. I think that there's a lot that we, uh, we have thought we've known, and now we're realizing we, we, we have a lot to learn. And I think that's, that's the beauty about what you and I love about research is that we always come away with more questions than we went into the, uh, into the discussion with, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Job security, right? Absolutely. Well, Dr. Pucker, thank you so much for joining us. We sure appreciate your work. I always love reading your papers and uh, even if they make me scratch my head. Uh, but uh, what's on the horizon? What do you think is uh, is exciting in the work that you're doing or exciting in the work of mybography and contact lenses as time goes on? I think I, what's exciting to me is what we just kind of talked about. Are the glands really regenerating or not? What's going on with that? And I think it gives hopes for, for patients. So if there's a patient who comes in and the glands are gone, we know we probably would initially just say, oh, you're not a candidate for lipoflow, but maybe maybe there's some glands there and maybe that would change our, our treatment paradigms going forward. So I want to really hone in on this over the next two, three, four years. And hopefully from that, maybe we can even find additional treatments that we could use with our patients. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, brilliant. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Optometric Insight Show. We sure appreciate all of you that are listening. Make sure to like and subscribe and uh, join us again next time uh, on the OI Show. Thank you.